Well, good day and welcome back to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Lalive. Thank you for tuning in and listening to us. I'm sitting down on Wadarung country down here in Geelong. It's nice to be home for a little bit. When I started Humans of Agriculture, it was all about trying to show the breadth and diversity as to the careers that agriculture can actually lead you down. And so I'm really excited to have my next guest on, who is the Corporate Chef and Food Service Business Development Manager for Meat and Livestock Australia. Sam Burke is a fascinating dude. He's seriously cool. I'm really excited to bring this one to you. I think first up, we probably need to address that the man has 15 barbecues in his backyard. He definitely doesn't spend much time at home. And he's only really had a couple of employers across his whole career. He's been a chef for more than 30 odd years, has worked his way up from an apprentice to leading teams that aren't just here in Australia, but are actually global food service businesses. About 10 years ago, he stumbled across a role at Meat and Livestock Australia. And since then, if you've been to any industry events, you would have probably seen Sam in the corner cooking away. Um, But his role is really about championing red meat and showing people, not just here in Australia, in terms of businesses, but also businesses and companies right around the world, how to use Australian red meat in fun, interesting, unique ways, which really champion the hard work that producers put into raising and growing some of the best and most sustainable red meat in the world. So, I don't know if an intro can do Sam justice. I just think I found his story awesome, interesting and just genuinely fascinating. And I think these are the types of people that are humans of agriculture. They aren't all just working inside the farm gate. There's people and opportunities right across the whole value chain when it comes to food. So let's just jump straight into it. Well, Sam, yeah, the first time that I'd seen you and come across you were at MLA Updates in, I reckon it must have been 2017 or 18, and down in Canberra, you obviously had your speaking gig, but then you're also providing lunch for everyone as well. And I just think like you have such an energy about you and you'd see some fascinating people. So I'm excited today to sit down and unpack a bit of your story. So welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Yeah, good on you, Ollie. I'm thrilled to be part of it. You know, when the, the comms team rang me up and told me that you were wanting to have a chat, uh, you know, I've, I've listened to a few of your podcasts in the past, driving home from work and stuck in Sydney traffic. So it's good to be on and talk about what I'm passionate about and learn a bit about more about what you guys do as well. So, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. So let's chat about that. The passion today, you're working for Meat and Livestock Australia. Your role is the corporate chef and food service business development manager. Like, what does a week in your life actually look like? Tell you what, mate, it's, it's always different. So I'm sitting in a hotel room in Brisbane talking to you at the moment. But what I love about the role is just the diversity. You know, one day you could be working on a cruise ship out at sea with chefs right at, right at, right under the ocean, you know, in the in the galleys, you know, uh, helping them, have, you know, taking the turf to the surf, if you like. Next minute we could be working on a, a revolutional burger with a big QSR chain that uh, features beef or a pizza or something like that, you know, that's special or that features beef, lamb or goat, you know. And then the next thing would be giving dignity to elderly Australians in aged care, you know, where Australian red meat's a very important part of their diet, it's iron, zinc and protein. And really looking at opportunities where we reverse engineer solutions to make sure that food service are confident with the product. They're using the right cup for cook method. It's meeting their cost of goods and we're pushing Australian red meat on menu, you know. So it's really understanding your customer, going away thinking about it, and then working with them in collaboration to come up with solutions that feature red meat on menu. And if they get it right, there's a good chance it's going to keep on going on menu, right? So, yeah, yeah, that's 
what the job's about foremost. And then the other part of the, the role is kind of like the ambassador for the Australian red meat industry in a culinary sense. So, you know, uh, I've got some fun parts of the job where I'm here at the ECA this week in Brisbane and we're doing, I guess, uh, cookery demonstrations with uh, consumers, making sure that they have success with the product as well. So that's fun. And then we do those big peak industry events and red meat updates and all that kind of stuff where we get to speak to producers and learn from them and take that message back to the consumer as well. My God, you, you cover a bit of country, but you also cover a few parts of the supply chain. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's what it's about, mate. You've got to, you know, because uh, the producer loves to hear what happens to their product when it leaves farm gate. And then on the other side, the chef loves to hear what happens when that animal's produced, right? So there's, we're kind of the, like the link between that conveys the positive messages. And I love the role. I really do love the role. Coming up to my 10th year now, and when I was a young kid at school, I used to work at a butchery. So it was kind of like the dream job, you know, and uh, I've been quite a loyal employee. I had one employer before this. And, you know, I had heaps of jobs when I was young at school and that. But when I left school, I did my apprenticeship with a big commercial catering company. Spent 20 years there, rose to the top there, running 185 sites across the country, big commercial caterer, and then clocked out and got the gold watch off the MD. Handed back my company car and my uh, my shirt, my chest shirt, and joined the MLA and second employer. So, you know, I, I'm quite a loyal um, employee, if you like, and I stick at something and I grind it out. And, you know, I'm very fortunate with my role and uh, I don't take it for granted, not one bit. Well, you're very different to me because um, I've already had more jobs than you and your career is about 10 times longer than mine. <laughs> Oh, mate, it was a bit of a hustle when I was young doing my apprenticeship. So, you know, I'd, I guess, you know, I'm showing my age now, but back in the 90s, you, I was on $137 a week as an apprenticeship. So, I'd work as a DJ, you know, I'd work in a butchery shop in a big retailer, like I said, security guard, chef at other venues, you know, and I, I always had this, you know, I wasn't the brightest kid when I was younger at school, you know, I was too busy playing sport or mucking around with the boys or chasing girls, but... When I got older, you know, I always had a hard work ethic, right? So, you know, that was instilled in me since the age of 12. I was on a milk run and, you know, it was always if you want something, you want the latest shoes or if you want the good shirt, you had to go out there and work for it. My mum and dad, didn't, you know, taught us that, you know, things don't come easy, you know, and that kind of lived with me to this day, you know, just uh, work hard, network, do your best and be appreciative of what comes in life, you know. So I'm fascinated. Where did the influence and the interest in food come from? Well, I'm a big lad, mate. I'm north of 100 kilos, but uh, I guess a lot. Of, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we'll go back to school, right? So my first job was a milk boy, right? So I worked for uh, six years on a milk run. So I always kind of had that egg kind of thing to me on the other side of the supply chain, you know, like providing beautiful Australian produce to the consumer, you know, and I was really passionate about that. That kept me fit. And then, um, like I said, I wasn't the brightest kid at school, and I loved cars and I loved food. And uh, mum was a great cook. She's a, a country cook, you know. She could, uh, you know, originally from Claremont in Queensland from a producer family. So I knew how to cook great food. And, you know, she, uh, we lived in the inner city suburb of Ashfield. It's about 8Ks from the CBD in Sydney. And mum saw in the local paper this role for this big commercial caterer for an apprenticeship. So she told me about it. And, um, you know, with my, my other role that I was doing, I started at McDonald's, believe it or not, at 16. So, you know, well, that's where I, I had my first experiment with beef. Stuck that out for three years. So I had that kind of work, the milk run, the butchery at Franklin's and then the McDonald's skills. So it was always food-based. 
went for the apprenticeship. We were in the recession we had to have in 92, Paul Keating said, you know, and there were 70 people going for the role and they were selecting five apprentices. So very fortunate at the time to get that apprenticeship. And when you got it, you had to make it work. It's not like today where there's employment all, all over the place. You know, this was my ticket for a career. And that's it. It just started off from there, you know. And uh, I guess the way I looked at it, my sister went to uni and um, I said to myself, you go to uni, you have to pay hex and you get a degree out of it and then you got to pay that back and then start. I have an opportunity to get a certificate, a trade cert, and get paid for it. So I always saw that no matter how less it was, you know, you know, it was only $137 that I was getting money and I was getting this free education. And that's what instilled me to keep on grinding away from it. Yeah, grinding, grinding at it, not grinding away from it. And here we are today, mate, talking to legends like you. Did you feel like that because you were one of five to get that apprenticeship? And did that build like incredible loyalty for that employer in the sense of you thought, God, I'm just so lucky to have got this I kind of owe you guys? It was a big company. It was a spotless group. And they've recently diverged out of catering. But... We had all the stadiums, so we had all the, the SCG, the Sydney Football Stadium, the Melbourne Cricket Ground. We did a few boarding schools. We had a diversity, all the big banks like Ernst Young, Combank, NAB, IBM. You know, in the day, we had all the corporate boardroom catering as well. So, And then we had the mining and defence, right? So the beautiful thing about that employer was during our apprenticeships, we had six months rotations. So you could be working... In a, I started off in an oil refinery, believe it or not, out at Cornell uh, in the Sutherland Shire um, in Sydney, feeding refiners, big casseroles and curries and wet dishes and roasts and, you know, and then after six months, then I was pivoted into Combank cooking for the managing director. So that was all fine dining. So we made breads, terrines, a la carte, fine dining. And then I was out at Taronga Zoo in the wedding reception centre. So, you know, you were changing every six months and then in a stadium and then uh, in a corporate boardroom for an accountancy firm. So you kind of had a taste of all different types of commercial cookery. So build your strengths across a lot of different businesses, which is why I have a lot of success today because I can generally go into any business and really adapt to their style of cooking and then reverse engineer a solution where I see red meat can play a vital part on their menu. And if you make it easy, if you make it successful, and if you use the right cup for cook method and backed by a wonderful MSA program and the staff has success with it, it's an affordable on menu and you give the end customer an experience, it's, it's like a drug. They'll, they'll keep on asking you to come back as a free consult if you like to help them with your business. And that's how we've grown in MLA. You know, we started off with one customer. When I started, you know, our food service program was predominantly trade shows and, uh, you know, we had our rare medium magazine, but I kind of um, thought, how can I bring my knowledge because I was a corporate chef for this big catering company and meeting all these exec chefs from hotels, QSRs, airlines, because you met them at all the industry events, right? How can I use those guys, come to them, knock on their door saying, what's your challenges with red meat on menu? Can I give you a hand? And then at the end of it, find those solutions that make commercial sense to them, give their staff the comfort to have success with red meat on menu, and then grow demand. And then in return, what they do is they help me out with these great stories of uh, how volume increases. You know, we don't always get it right and no one's perfect, you know. But what do we learn from it? This dish didn't work and why didn't it work? Because we couldn't get enough supply of this cup or whatever, you know. But uh, we've got a pretty high success rate. 
you know, we've done some great stuff. We've put, like I said, burgers with big QSR chains. We've put, um, oh, we've been on cruise ships, airlines, you name it, you know, uh, aged care facilities, commercial caterers, mines. It's fascinating the amount of places that we've helped out and we've learned from them too. And then there's the international work on top of that. We're kind of like a ambassador for Australian produce for red meat and going out around the world and, and showcasing our product to new markets and existing markets. So that's invigorating too. Just come back from Europe and the UK and Dubai. And um, we were with Emirates looking at opportunities for beef and sheep meat in their commercial kitchen. And then in the UK, uh, we were in Meat and Wine Co. I did a function with uh, Gina Reinhardt that came and launched her product into the free trade agreement. So it was fantastic to meet that lovely lady. And then uh, Mrs. Reinhardt, I should say. And then off to Belgium where we did a function with 600 people for the European friends over there. We're seeking free trade agreement in the EU. So, you know, there's that sense of being proud to be Australian, you know, that you're over there on the other side of the world representing those wonderful producers and making sure that their product shines. And that, to me, brings great satisfaction. You want to know what brings a great satisfaction for Sam Burke? It's when I go to an industry event and when I talk to a producer and they say, hey, we've seen you've been doing this. It's fantastic. You know, tell me about this, the interest that they hold, you know, the passion that they hold. Because all that hard work that they put in to give us that wonderful product, it's really, it gives me great pleasure to tell them on how we're succeeding on the other end of the supply chain and what challenges we've got to. I was going to ask Sam, because on this, going from your 20-odd years as a corporate chef, coming into Meat and Livestock Australia, you mentioned there was really only, it was a tiny division, there was one customer. So I guess you didn't, you might have been able to see the opportunity. But if you flick it back 10 years, what do you remember about that decision of deciding to come into MLA and maybe the first interactions you had with people where you thought, God, this is a good job? I guess, no, nah, it's probably wrong of me saying it. There was customers, but not in the way that we're doing these reverse engineering solutions, right? So they held great masterclasses, and that's how I met MLA, you know, because they came out when I was at Spotless and did great masterclasses with us. And they had a great comms program, and they were at all the trade shows, and they did fantastic things with chess and competitions. But I kind of looked at it, I kind of put a little bit of Sam Burke touch on it, and then kind of developed this consult business where we worked hand-in-hand hand with Food Service to Greater Man, in hand with uh, our corporate butcher and their Meat Standards Australia team, Kelly Payne, right? So it was kind of like that was the spin I put on it. But when I came to MLA, look, I, I'm not going to lie, it was nervous, right? You're at an employer for 20 years and then uh, you're pretty much the food standards manager and then you've got to come and start all again, right? So I worked incredibly hard. Because I was in a more senior corporate position at Spotless where I wasn't in the whites as much, right? So I wouldn't say more senior, but I was in a different role. So it was like a, a more of a business analyst role. So, you know, you know, writing tenders for new business, it's a business development team menus, mobilizing sites, all that kind of stuff, you know, starting up new teams. Whereas when I came out of MLA, I had to learn really fast again to be a, a chef, right? And learn... How to use every cut of the carcass because that tape, you know, you kind of learn about 8% of the carcass, all the loin cuts, right? So you know your sirloin, your scotch fillet, your tenderloin or your backstrap for the lamb or your rack, you know, or your leg. But what about all the other parts of the carcass and how do they cook up best? So the great learning I had from the Meat Standards Australia team and in particular a gentleman called Kelly Payne is still with us today. 
going to hold this book up is the MSA Eating Quality Guide, right, where he went through every cut with me and sat down and showed me what's the best cut for cook utilisation, right? And then I went away and experimented like all chefs do. Try this cut for that, this cut for that. Different cooking methods, combi ovens, you know, brat pans, sous vide, all these different cook methods of red meat and what cuts work best and what kept the best yield. For example, if you cook a lamb shoulder at 80 degrees for 10 hours rather than 160 to 170 for three hours or two and a half hours, you'll have more moisture content in that product because you've cooked it slower. The higher you roast it, more moisture you lose out of the product. Now, if you're cooking 200 kilos of product and you can save 10 to 20% on yield by cooking that product slower and you're in a big mining camp, that's money, right? So it's not always about the recipe. It's about the right method to make a commercial business decision for the partner to activate. Another thing too, right? So if you're talking to uh, chefs, they are so busy. Right? So if you show them how to do two or three dishes that you can slow cook in an oven, that frees their time up to go and do something else. So it might not always be a commercial benefit of cost of goods, but it can be a commercial benefit of time. So if that oven's pumping away when they're at home, preparing all those or slow-braised lamb or slow-braised beef chuck or something like that, they come in in the morning, they've got a beautiful gelatinous meal that's already done, and they can finish it off with a few condiments or sides and then have time to do stock take or even have time to have a break. So when we talk to partners... Yeah, a lot of it's commercially about money and best buying practice and right cut for cook utilisation, but a lot is about giving time back to the chefs to actually do a better job and offer a better product to the consumer. So that's the way we think at MLA, yeah. And that just makes logical sense, doesn't it? Instead of trying to fabricate some sort of utopia, it's literally meeting people where they're at and going, these are your problems and if I can give you back an hour a day or whatever it might be, five hours a week, yeah, it makes complete sense to people. Now, the part you haven't touched on, you talked about cooking at cruise lines and all of this. I want to know, do you get nervous when you roll out at these different events for five, 600-odd people and cook for them still? 100%, because I think a bit of nerves keeps you grounded, right? There's always opportunities where things go wrong, but at the end of the day, I guess I meticulously plan everything I do. I really go over the top. Like before we got on this line today, I'm writing ingredients my demonstration tomorrow, I'm just showing it to you on the screen here, you know what I mean? And I've got 90% of my prep done, but hang on, you know, we're going to do a great red meat dish at the Eka, but let's show them how to make a panzanella salad, which will go wonderful with some lamb kebabs, you know what I mean? Rather than just the kebabs, right? So a meticulous amount of planning goes into whatever we do, and that great helps, you know, for example, yeah, you, you go to the EU, you're cooking for 600, we take a small team with us, you got one opportunity to get that red meat order right, right? Because it's not like if you're down, you can order a wholesale to just bring you some more Aussie beef and lamb when you're in Belgium, right? One opportunity, one order, that's it, you know? You've got that, right? You stuff that up, you burn that, you know what I mean? You know, there's no room for error. And, and I guess it all comes down to experience, you know, I'm 30 years in the game this year, you know, so... I'm a bit of an off-timer on it now, and, and just like everything comes experience, you know, but not everything runs smooth, but it's the way you react when things don't go well that counts, you know. If you go into a panic, it does nothing. Just put your head down, keep calm, and carry on, as they say. And we always get there at the end. 
but I, you know, there's a touch of nervousness in whatever I do because I just want to get it right, you know, just like everyone. I've got a great responsibility. Producers have put me on a plane to fly to the other side of the world to represent their product. We're going to damn well make sure that it's at its very best when we serve it to the customer. And we're telling the story and we're giving the passion to them so they're on the journey with us to, to buy our product. So, uh, Well, mate, I can definitely say the passion comes through in spades. Hey, it's Nick here, Sheep Farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community well-being and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives, those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know, have you got a moment in your career that you look at really fondly as being like a career-defining moment? Good question, mate. I reckon joining MLA, I reckon it was the best decision I ever made. I seriously do because I love my old employer. Don't get me wrong, I worked 20 years for them, but always had a passion for barbecuing and red meat and cooking the protein. So to get that job was amazing. And I guess another thing was we did a big dinner in 2016 for the Queen's Young Achievers. So the Queen appointed 20 people from around the Commonwealth and then they had a reception with her. And then we did a dinner at Australia House in Holborn in England with Australian red meat. And I actually got a letter from the Queen and it's in my um, office. So that's kind of like a big thing for me, you know, that I show my kids quite a bit, you know. Mate, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, I don't have to wait to 100 to get a, a letter from the king, you know, you know, I can check out a bit earlier, you know. So, no, not that I want that to happen, but uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. So that was a bit of a career-defining moment. And, you know, and I guess being a father too, you know what I mean, uh, balancing and, you know, you know, bringing your girls into your career and making sure that they're passionate about eating right and, they all eat red meat. They've got no other choice, you know. There's no vegans in my family, you know. So three strong girls that are very fit, smart, and uh, love what – and, you know, follow my journey. It's pretty cool when the middle one goes to school and, and all the kids are following your dad on Instagram. They hate it. They get embarrassed. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a chuckle for me being an old chef, mate, when that happens, you know. So, yeah. Oh, and you'd probably just jump on the latest trends, wouldn't you, the latest dances and God knows what else, Sam? My daughter turned 18 last May, and for her birthday, we didn't have a cake. We sang happy birthday to the brisket. So I slowly cooked a, a barbecue brisket in the backyard, mate, and uh, carved it across the grain, and they all loved it, mate, because kids in the western suburbs, you know what I mean, they've got a lot of multicultural people, and they don't eat a lot of beef. They eat a lot more lamb and different types of uh, products, you know. So for them to have a beef brisket, it was a real treat, you know. So uh, the only thing is, mate, I get kept on asking, do you do kids' parties? And I go, no. I'm too busy, right? When I get to the weekend, I just crash on the couch and watch footy. <laughs> How do you balance that? Obviously, I'm going to say, well, not a young, young family, but a family of kids going through some pretty formative years and obviously the demands, I dare say, that expectation because of what you're representing and doing for Australian red meat, I'm sure the demand really pulls at you a lot in terms of where you've got to be. 
I've got a good wife, and, I, and I'm not going to say we chose to Jamila to have the most important role is look after those three kids, and we're very fortunate to be able to do that. So her job is just looking after those girls and making sure they get off to school or got one in uni now, and um, you know keeps everything afloat at home. So I can really do what I do, and, and she's so patient. You know they understand that this role involves a lot of travel, and I'm away at home, away a lot. But when I'm home, I'm home. So I'm generally just hanging around the house or mowing the lawn or sipping a ginger beer in the backyard or you know, you know, you know, I've got a I vested in a Holden Commodore Type Sport HSV and I take that out and a bit of a lair, just hang around the neighborhood, mate, you know, and just do the things that I love. We've got a gym in the backyard, throw a few weights around. So I'm a bit of a homebody because when I'm on the road I'm you know, I'm always busy, you know. So uh, I get to Friday afternoon, I just crash and I just I'm just you know, I love my rugby league and Love my barbecuing. You know, I've got 15 barbecues in the backyard, which is quite mad. No, you don't. Really? Do you actually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of them my cousin made for me. So he's a, he's, he makes truck bodies up in your poon for mines, right? You know, those big trucks that in the mines, the big wheels, you know, that he uh, does roll cages and all that. So his side hustle, he, he builds uh, barbecues. So we built a two and a half ton perilla, Argentinian perilla, and it does. I can cook 50 steaks in eight minutes. Yeah, so I turned the backyard into a steakhouse, mate. <laughs> oh, my God. How big is your backyard? Well, it's not that big, mate, but it's full of barbecues. My wife goes nuts. <laughs> She's very patient there, too. Doing the barbecues and the waves. Yeah, yeah. So I do a lot of slow braising. I, I love cooking over iron bark and charcoal. You know, I'm a bit of a – I've got a good gas barbie, but, you know, more um, red meat over flames kind of guy, you know, so that – I just think the romance is so cool when you're sitting around a fire and you're cooking meat and then feeding others. Half the time, I don't even eat, you know. So uh, it's awesome, mate. I think I'm going to write. I'm going to write on my bucket list to go to a barbecue in Sandberg's backyard. Yeah, there's been a few, mate. You're welcome anytime, mate. The door's always open. Uh, it'd be good to see you, Ollie. You let me know when you're in Sydney Town next, and we'll make that happen. Sounds good. God, it's not a bad gig I've got, is it? I'm keen to chat on. So on the red meat front, let's chat about some of the. I guess, emerging trends and things that you're seeing. So I'd love to know from your perspective, how do you balance the different and competing priorities of consumers around price, sustainability, convenience, all of those things? How do you actually approach that in the different conversations that you have? Okay, so for our beef marketing campaigns, we really look at the midweek meal and healthy nutritionalists, smaller portions, sustainable eating. You see, we talk about sustainability all the time, right? And I guess the real challenge is right at the end of the supply chain, I reckon, for the consumer or the person eating it. Because if the producer goes to all that trouble to making a wonderful product, it then leaves a farm gate, goes all the way to the truck, to the processing plant, then goes all the way to the wholesaler, and then all the way to the retailer. And then at the end, if the consumer cooks too much and it goes in the bin or has a bad experience with it, that's the biggest thing, right? You know, so... I guess when we talk to food services, how do you cut down waste? So what we like to do at MLA is we like to promote balanced meals for Australian beef. So it could be a smaller portion. You know, gone are the days. So, you know, I still love my big 250 or 300 gram ribeye steak with my peppercorn sauce, chips and salad, right? But what we're trying to say is, you know, you could have a nice 125 to 150 gram meal with more salads as part of a vitality bowl or a few kebab skewers, or a stir-fry. And uh, we try to talk about what's the right cut that's going to give the consumer 
the best experience at the end, right? Because if, if they stuff it up and they pay good money for the product, well, then there's a good chance that they're going to try something else next time. So we're really focusing on five to six ingredients, simple method, right cut, easy to prepare, and family favorites, right? You know, for buzzing families and, and single incomes and, you know, and couples as well, right? So you might want to get a quick, quick nutrition uh, fix before you go out and, and uh, footy training for the kids on a Thursday night, right? What's a good dish? Beef tacos, skewers, stir fry, pinches on. I'll put this small piece of truck in a slow cooker, raise it down. So when I come home, I'll just do a beautiful salad on the side and I've got a wonderful slow cooked secondary cup that's got those beautiful aromas fermenting through the, the lounge room to give great success with the product, right? And then for lamb, we look at lamb as being the product that brings all the cultures together, right? You know, so if you look at Australian lamb, you look at the Middle Eastern who've had lamb shawarma and the hambajin, which is a pizza, sambusik, and then you Greek souvlaki, arrostacini skewers from the Italians, Sunday lamb roast from the Aussies, you know? You know, it's the protein. When you think about it, right, that brings everyone together for a celebration. So that's the way we market it. We used to say you never lamb alone, right? That was our old campaign, right? There was always, you know, someone come over and now it's share the lamb, right? Because Australian lamb is a celebration protein, if you like, that brings people together to enjoy good times across a multitude of cultures. So that's the way that we market it, that protein. And then, um, you know, when we talk about Australian goat, give goat a goat, right? Those secondary cuts, those slow braising cuts, goat's the most consumed meat in, in the world. So it's how do we bring that protein in so the consumers can enjoy it in Australia because it's not probably as prevalent as the other proteins that we're used to, you know, so there's a challenge there. So it's understanding where that protein fits best. And we do a lot of uh, consumer research about what they're eating, what the trends are, and then we plan our programs to utilise, you know, with that research and insights, that information and, and give the best possible opportunity to market that product, yeah. And so is the work you're doing now, like are you far more in touch with the consumer than like in your previous life? Look, it depends on the project, right? So being the corporate chef, I work across the multitude of the businesses. So, you know, my core role is business development and food service. However, now and then I get pulled into working with the big retailers on projects and then working for R&D science team, you know, or MLA donor company on innovation. Pretty cool stuff, you know. We've done 3D printed meat, you know, out of a meat paste, you know. We've done total extrusion off carcass where they blast the meat off the bone and make bone broths for athletes and things like that. So that's really cool R&D stuff, you know. Uh, boosted protein content for people in, in aged care, you know, mixing red meat with other ingredients to give them a boost in iron, zinc and protein for their diets, you know. So it's, you know, we're always doing something different and that's what I love, love about the role, you know. One minute you could be developing a burger for a big chain, next minute, like I said, you could be on a cruise ship. Next minute, you could be about 30,000 feet in an airline. You know, when you're at 30,000 feet, you lose the taste receptors in your mouth. So we've got to adjust the seasoning in the red meat products so you can taste it, you know, when you're up in the sky flying. So it's all that kind of stuff that you learn about the product. And especially over 10 years, you know, you never stop learning. You just get more and more focused and you see what other people are doing. And, and you know, we're so lucky to have all those resources like YouTube and just the guys in the backyard, what are they doing with the product? How are they having success with big American low and slow, uh, reverse steering, all those kind of scenes, you know? 
take that inspiration away. You know, I'll learn from those guys, you know. It's just a wonderful role and something I'm very fortunate and proud to be part of. So, interestingly, I'm thinking of this from the like from a consumer lens for myself and as you were mentioning, like helping consumers understand that rather than I guess it's the big portion of meat and your few veggies on the side, it's actually like the meat becomes the hero but it's based around the veggies and things you've got on the plate. So the retailers would have huge influence and like I'm just thinking especially here from food waste, portion size, all of that is really quite influenced by the retailers and is that something we're going to continue to see is smaller and smaller portions yeah i guess i guess look there's celebrations that we have right you know christmas time you've got the you know more and more we think people now they're moving away from the ham and, and all that they're putting the big tomahawk in the middle of the table and then serving with seafood and prawns you know having a bit of a surf and turf christmas right so there's this big celebration accounts where there's a big or that, you know, that butterfly lamb leg in the middle of the table that's carved up, right? So there's those opportunities where we use it as a centrepiece, if you like, which happens a lot when people dine out, right? So more and more when you dine out, now you get your center protein in the middle and you get all these different sides and you go and create a wonderful, wonderful dish. But I guess at home, what we're trying to do is, you know, we want people to feel good about eating red meat, right? And how we do it is, you know, it's gone in the days like, in the 90s, you know, when there was one type of bread, multigrain or white, and then you had your steak and your free veg, right? Different types of cultures that we've got. We've got to make our protein acceptable to different types of cultural eating experiences, right? Because of the cultures that we have in our country. So that's changing, right? Not everyone's like Australia where we've had that 200 gram of protein and then the vegetables. There's a lot of people that have composite dishes, curries and wet dishes and salads. So, as the uh, population's evolving with all these different cultures that we've got, you know, this multicultural, beautiful country that we call Australia, we have to adapt our cuisine to their tastes as well as keep the traditional stuff that we like as well. We're not providing a solution which they're used to and which they enjoy to eat. So, you know, you've got to think about that as well. And Aussies like to try different things. We're the most adventurous people we are you know we want to try red meat in different ways too right so it's even you just got to keep on evolving keep on looking at balanced opportunities right where we have a healthy balance of protein and vegetables and make people feel good about it so we remain as part of an integral part of the healthy dietary guidelines and people feel good about eating the product and you know alternatively australia is the biggest market for red meat for australian products still 30 percent of the product is here so it's an important market and we've got to make people continue to enjoy it, you know what I mean, and, and defend our place on the plate. And uh, that's our role. You know, we're always out there working hand in hand with the end consumer and listening, right? Not just assuming, listening and the reverse engineering solutions that are going to work for them, you know. And so that's where our research and insights team do a marvellous job, right? They always keep us up to date with what consumers are doing, what they're eating, so then we can adapt our programs to best market interest, you know, and make sure that people are enjoying that wonderful product and menu. And I think something you say there, Sam, something you said there, which I heard uh, Howard from Pollinate, their market research group, share earlier this year was around, like, consumers really just don't want to feel guilty about what they're doing and how can we in our communications, in what we do, getting the information across to people so they can eat, consume from a place where there's no guilt involved. And that seems like a, yeah, I think a really important thing for us to do as a broader ag industry is going, well, how do we actually help people? They don't need, there's enough 
anxiety and pressure around life in general. Let's not do it when it comes to shared meals. 100%. Like food is a very important part of people's lives, right? So if you ask people what they remember, they remember a good meal or they remember a good song on the radio. You know where you are, you hear a song, you remember that song where you were in that part of life where you enjoyed it, whether it be at the pub or, you know, on a team bus on the way from a football match or whatever, you know what I mean? But uh, same with a meal. You have a good occasion. You remember where you had that meal and it stiggers good memories, right? So we always think about that too, you know, food stiggers memories. So let's create good memories, good Australian red meat product. You know, I really mean it, you know. So uh, I had a great night last night. I was at the annual beef off. I got invited uh, a processor to that in the Regatta Hotel where we had all different steaks and we are just trying and, and uh, rating which one that we enjoyed the most, you know. And that, that was a, an interesting way to enjoy our protein. You know, we didn't have a big steak. You had a, like a little paddle before different cuts from different producers. So I guess it was some good banter, good fun. And uh, they're the moments I remember, you know. Food's very important to me as it is all throughout the world, yeah. For sure. Now, Sam, one question to finish on, and I ask everyone that comes on the podcast so you're not getting away from it. But if you had the chance to go down and chat to Year 10 students about careers in agriculture... If you were to stand up in front of them right now, what would you say to them? I'd say one of the best diverse industries in Australia, and it's the backbone of Australia, right? And go out there and do it. There's so much to do in this wonderful environment, and the people are the salt of the earth, and um, it's a small network. You know, we are a big country, but when we all come together, we all know each other from somewhere, right? So it's a big part of it, you know, be part of the family. And uh, agriculture is a unique opportunity for people to go out there and make a difference to Australians, you know what I mean? Agriculture is the backbone of the country. You take agriculture and mining out of Australia and we're nothing. So come and join the backbone of Australia, agriculture. 10 out of 10 from me. It's been a great journey for me and it's something that I'm quite proud of because my grandparents on my mum's side were producers for a very long time big red meat eaters and we'd have corn beef fritters for breakfast and it's uh, something that, that I'm very proud of and I think if you want to go out there and do it, you want a career that you're going to be proud of, agriculture is the way to go. The diversity is amazing and the people are even better. So don't waste time, go out there and do it. Well, Sam, I've loved our chat this morning. I just find your enthusiasm infectious. Literally, as I said, it was your energy at that MLA updates years ago that caught my eye and... Um, I've loved it, mate. Thank you so much for sitting down for a chat. Nah, mate, the steaks are on at my house. Let me know when you're in Sydney town and uh, we'll fire up the barbie. And uh, for everyone listening, you know, do support these guys. It's a wonderful podcast. And uh, I think yourself and Millie and the team do a great job and uh, keep going. Well done. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Sam. We'll catch up with you soon. Cheers, mate. Well, that's it for another episode from us here at Humans of Agriculture. We hope you're enjoying these podcasts and, well, if you're not, let us know. Hit us up at hello at humansofagriculture.com. Get in touch with any guest recommendations, topics, or things you'd like us to talk and get curious about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, rate, subscribe, review it. Any feedback is absolutely awesome and we really do welcome it. So look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you next time. See ya.